the Slaughter and May podcast. Hello and welcome to our Cross Borders podcast. I'm Paul Walter, a consultant at Slaughter and May. Today I'm joined by Simon Nichols, co-head of our corporate and M&A group, Lisa Wright, a partner in our competition group, and Jan Putnis, head of our financial regulation group and co-head of our financial institutions group. As part of our horizon scanning series, we're going to look at some of the key across-border developments we expect to see in 2023. So today we're going to focus on investment and capital allocation, the impact of regulatory intervention and the economic downturn on M&A, and Britain's place outside of the EU and the remodelling of its regulatory landscape. Turning then to our first theme, Simon, what are you expecting to see in terms of capital flows into and out of UK businesses? And what do you see as the key drivers and risks for investment in the current climate? It's worth starting with the macro factors. After a crazy period, the UK political situation is now more stable, with, I guess, a reasonable prospect of that continuing for a couple of years. And with a fiscal and economic programme that's more prudent and definitely more real world, you've got a reliable background for investment. Though clearly headwinds elsewhere, uncertainty on interest rates, that's an unknown across, across the piece. On the whole, UK companies generally remain pretty cheap, particularly for stronger currency buyers like those from the States. And in the last couple of years, those buyers, private equity or corporate, they've been big drivers of M&A activity. Forward deal flow is going to keep that profile while the dollar remains strong, that's for sure. So I'd expect activity to resume next year once rates stabilise, debt markets reopen and appetites back. If you go beyond those macro factors to things that can kickstart specific situations, activism levels still pretty high, and you can see that continuing too. That always shakes situations into life, or at least takes the credit for doing so. As ever, the key there is for the corporate to be prepared, know your strengths, articulate them clearly before the situation hoves into view, and then have a well-understood plan to address any weaknesses. Another specific, it would be good to see London turn the tide on IPO trends, particularly when it comes to high growth and tech companies, where the US and European competition remains strong. I think there's increasing consensus among government, regulators and parts of the market about what needs to be done. And 2023 will see consultations from the FCA and the Treasury on the prospectus regime and the listing rules. And all of that's with a view to making London more attractive to the IPO pipeline. So to sum up, despite the chill created by Brexit, I think the UK remains attractive. You've got a stable tax system, predictable regulatory and judicial framework, and all the advantages of language and time zone. So while 2023 will surely be a more difficult year, the fundamentals are there for the UK to remain an attractive place to invest. And I think you'll see deal flow that reflects that. Thank you. Lisa, Simon mentioned the role of international buyers, and it certainly seems that we're currently open for business in the UK and Europe. But what do you think we're likely to see in terms of regulatory intervention in 2023? And how will that affect the way that deals are done? Yeah, so recent years have seen the competition authorities become increasingly interventionist in M&A. The UK Competition and Markets Authority, for example, is now intervening in three times as many deals as it did 10 years ago. The European Commission also continues to pursue a rigorous approach to merger control, including through the introduction of a new policy which actually allows it to examine deals where the jurisdictional thresholds aren't satisfied in either Brussels or at member state level. Um, This increased intervention, I think, is being largely driven by several factors. A scepticism about the benefits of M&A and concerns around previous under-enforcement, 
a focus um, at the policy level on technology, data and innovation, a renewed interest in less traditional theories of harm, and also the fact that regulators are no longer seeing uncertainty as a reason not to intervene. I think what that all means in practice is that more deals are being subject to rigorous analysis, which has an impact on timing. Remedies are becoming increasingly common and some deals are being blocked. I think we can probably expect to see more of the same in the year ahead. The appetite or ability to intervene is not actually uniform everywhere, meaning that there is now considerable scope for divergence between different authorities. And that's also true in relation to the outcomes reached by authorities when they do intervene. So, for example, there were some high-profile instances in 2022 where major authorities came to opposite decisions on the need for and viability of remedies. And are we seeing more in the way of economic protectionism by the UK or, or other European countries? And, and if so, is that just an issue for certain types of buyers or, or does it apply more widely? Well, we are certainly seeing a significant strengthening of investment screening regimes in, in the UK and Europe. In the UK, the National Security and Investment Regime has now been operational for a year. And so far, we've seen remedies imposed on several transactions and three prohibitions. And it's a similar picture in the European Union, where 25 out of 27 member states have, have recently taken measures to develop their screening regimes. There are some common trends in the types of deals that come in for heavy scrutiny. So on the investor side, the involvement of state-owned or state-funded companies may lead to detailed scrutiny, as may concerns regarding possible illegal or, or security-related conduct. On the target side, um, you can expect scrutiny for investments in suppliers to the defence and cybersecurity sectors, as well as businesses with other types of critical technologies, supplies, infrastructure or sensitive information. But that said, there are actually also a lot of differences between the various regimes, including in terms of the transactions that are caught, the substantive tests for concerns to arise, and, and importantly, the length of the review process. So as with competition merger control, it's really important to plan ahead. Thank you. Uh, Simon, going back to you for a minute, assuming that economic conditions in the UK and Europe remain difficult, how do you see that affecting public and private M&A in 2023? Well, in 2022, we've seen inflation and rising interest rates really for the first time in a generation, and there's a recession coming. That's reduced deal flows you'd expect, and certainly reduced it from the wave of activity that you saw on the back of COVID restrictions lifting. So far, though, things are holding up, looking at 2022 as a whole. Activities broadly in line with pre-pandemic levels, even if we have come off the high of 2021. But there'll still be enough going on. Those conditions will help buyers with stronger balance sheets, take opportunities at softer valuations, and you'd also predict that some sellers or targets will start to see M&A as part of their solution in a tougher environment. Raising cash rather than borrowing cash will be more of a priority when money has stopped being cheap. PE firms, as always, will be a big driver. They've got dry powder sitting in funds and will need to keep moving and they'll access debt as soon as they can. And until then, I'm sure we'll also see bigger equity checks being written to get deals across the line with the debt takeout coming later on. So that's the, the deal flow piece at 60,000 feet. But, but going back to your question about how it'll affect deals at a, maybe a helicopter level, 
I think you'll also see deals being done in different ways. You'll, you'll see a bigger focus on diligence, I think. Risk will feel more acute. Equally for others, you'll see deals done in a real hurry with unassessed or less assessed risks being priced and valuations being cut. I think you'll also see structures that try and bridge value gaps or funding gaps, so vendor finance, joint ventures, minority stakes to avoid tripping financings. So overall, I'd expect more caution on diligence, more circumspect pricing, but also a bit more creativity in the actual deal making. Thank you. Jan, turning to you now, if I may, the UK government continues to press on with financial services reforms. The Chancellor, for example, announced several measures in December which are designed to unlock investment and turbocharge growth. What are these reforms likely to mean for the financial services sector in practice? And is the UK diverging away from the EU and setting itself up in competition to our nearest neighbours? Thanks, Paul. Well, the governments and the regulators' proposed regulatory reforms seen since the UK left the EU are, of course, very much about positioning the UK as a global financial centre independent of the EU and trying to maintain its position and influence on the global financial services stage. The government says this is not about divergence for divergence's sake, but more about taking advantage of the opportunities that being independent brings to shape the UK financial services regulatory framework to better serve the industry's needs and to do it in a way that delivers the government's ambitions for domestic growth, innovation and international competitiveness, while also on top of all of that trying to maintain high standards of regulation and consumer protection across the board. In doing so, many of the reforms do diverge in, in various ways from EU law, but that said, are not intended to do away with those EU regimes entirely. Um, and other reforms relate to homegrown regimes that didn't come from the EU at all. But it was EU law, we have to remember, that provided for much of the post-financial crisis reform of financial regulation in the UK, and brought UK financial regulation within the broader international standards um, that we know well for banking, for example, such as the Basel regime for bank prudential regulation. So the UK simply isn't in a position to cast EU law aside in financial services entirely, but it can now adapt in incremental ways its own financial regulatory regime outside the EU to improve it, just as the EU will do itself over time. The biggest divergence, though, arguably, is the move back to the traditional regulatory model set up under our Financial Services and Markets Act in the UK, the main piece of UK financial services legislation, where regulators will hold the vast majority of rulemaking powers and the extensive body of retained EU financial services legislation will be repealed and replaced with regulatory rules. Albeit those rules will in many cases, and at least in the first instance, reflect EU legislation that they replace. In contrast, a number of the reforms are designed to make UK reg regulated firms more competitive and attractive to investment, but are not in fact about divergence from the EU. An example is the uh, proposed reforms to the homegrown UK bank ring fencing regime, which include the proposed exclusion of purely retail banks from the regime and a promised consultation on some other changes in 2023. And finally, an announced consultation that will take place on the senior managers and certification regime, which is the UK specific individual accountability regime that was introduced in response to the global financial crisis. Um, only a review, and it's not clear whether that will yet change in any significant way. 
I should just add also that the government and UK regulators have been clear since Brexit first became a reality that maintaining high standards of regulation is key to maintaining the UK's place as a global financial centre and encouraging the growth of and investment into the financial services sector here. So firms can anticipate no reduction in the overall regulatory burden in the UK or risk that they face going forward. The most important thing to keep in mind is the backdrop of the huge power grab that the UK regulators have as they become the makers and, and maintainers of rules in the financial sector in most of the areas formerly covered by the EU. The question of the accountability of the regulators when doing that will, of course, not go away as a result. Thank you. So we've touched on some of the key themes for 2023 in the areas of cross-border investment, M&A and regulation. We'll be monitoring these developments and writing about them in our Horizon Scanning series. So that brings us to the end of this podcast. Thank you to Simon, Lisa and Jan for your thoughts and to you all for listening. For more information on this topic or to hear our other podcasts, please visit slaughterandmay.com. You can also subscribe to the Slaughter May podcast on iTunes or Google Play. Thank you and goodbye for now. For more information on this topic or to hear our other podcasts, please visit www.slaughterandmay.com. You can also subscribe to the Slaughter and May podcast on iTunes or Google Play.